My name is Pastor Edwin Colon. I'm grateful to be with you. Today, we're going to talk about envy. We've been in a series, and in this series, what we've been wanting to do is see how the gospel addresses our painful emotions. And these emotions are emotions we'd rather stuff or put away or not deal with. We've talked about several. Today, we're going to talk about envy. I know a lot about envy. I grew up in a house with a brother and sister who were better than me in every way, and I wanted, I wondered, I was angry that I didn't have what they had. My, my brother was an incredibly handsome guy. He had these beautiful looks. That's a picture of my brother. No. For those of you who are younger than 40, that's a picture of Ricky Martin. And uh, you go, who's Ricky Martin? Uh, talk to me after the service. And, and, and my sister was a genius. I got a picture of her, too. And that's what she looked like. It was crazy. I was like, I can't believe that I'm in this family. This is terrible. And so, no, my sister wasn't Einstein. And so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Envy made it feel like that was true. Envy made it feel like I was the ugly, like I was going to put another picture. Remember the Goonies with the guy who's like, Lord, I was going to put a picture of that. I was like, that's the way I felt, right? The, the, the idea that I was, like, I was cursed. And I was cursed because I wasn't as good looking as him or smart as her. I wonder if I'm the only one who grew up like that, thinking that everything was just against me. And I wasn't as kind or as nice or as talented as so-and-so. John Piper said this about envy. He said, envy seems to be born out of a restless heart that does not find God satisfying. Envy seems to be born out of a heart, a restless heart, that does not find God satisfying. That brings us to today's big idea. This is the one idea that I want you to leave with. Because envy is not your friend. Envy destroys, it destroys parent-child relationships. It destroys husband-wife relationship. It destroys friend-to-friend -friend relationship. It destroys. Envy destroys. Envy. Our big idea today is that envy invades our joy, steals our hope, reveals our idols. That's what envy does. It invades our joy. It steals our hope. And it reveals our itis. Would you say that with me two times together? Envy invades our joy, steals our hope, and reveals our idols. Now, we're going to do it two more times, but I want, wherever it says our, I want you to say my. Would you do that with me? Yes. Okay, let's, on the count of three. One, two, three. Envy invades my joy, steals my hope, and reveals my idols. Let's do it again. Envy invades my joy, steals my hope, 
and reveals my idols. We're going to see how in this text, Psalm 73, how God reveals this to us. But I want you to get that deep in your heart because envy is not your friend. Envy is here to assassinate you. In fact, envy is an odorless killer. Envy is more like carbon monoxide than it is like gas. You don't recognize it. You don't see it in your own life. Everybody else does, though. But it's one, one of those things that we're blind to. Why don't I have the health of so-and-so? Why don't I have the looks of so-and-so? Listen to me. I know this so well. I fight this every day. I look at other pastors and I go, for real, God? Like, that person has all the resources that they need and the finances that they need and we struggle like this? That person just showed up three years ago and their church is three times our size. It's like, what's wrong with me? You see, this can happen to you if you're in ministry. This can happen to you in any position of life. This is going to affect you. And you need to listen to this sermon, not because I'm preaching it, but because God's word is going to help you from blowing up your marriage or destroying your relationships. Now, I just got to tell you, listen, listen. If you're listening to this message, I know you're here and you're going envy. Oh, my goodness. I wish Janet was here. Janet needs this message. Stanley. Stanley was the one. I'm going to get him the audio. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on like sermon.net. What's the thing? Uh, sermon.net or whatever. I'm going to go on sermon.net, hit Next Step Community Church and send them the podcast. They need to hear this. In fact, you might even be here with your spouse or, 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 or with your family member and you might be going like this. You see? You see? This message is not for them. It's for the person sitting in your seat. This person is for the person who's wearing your shirt. This sermon is for you. Don't be distracted by anybody else. Jesus needs to deal with the envy in your soul. See, we see. Or, so why don't we stand? We're going to read God's word. Psalm 73. I was tempted to cut out like half the psalm because it's quite a few verses. Um, but I want us to read it all because it really is. I want you to have it with you. And then we're going to go back to this uh, verse. But listen to me. Listen to me. Your relationships, your sanity, your walk in faith, it all is going to be corrupted by the envy that Satan puts in your heart. So please, for some of you, you'll be looking back and you'll be going, so that's what ruined my marriage. For others of you, you'll be saying, so that's what's destroying us right now I want you to I want your good I want you to grow in Jesus listen if you're very very old you have a lot of regret because of envy and if you're oh my goodness if you're in like elementary junior high high school this is the air you breathe you need help from good night going on TikTok wondering why your friend is getting more likes than you are and hating them for it. 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's going to affect everything. It's going to affect everything. So I need, you to, I need you to put the big ear on. But I have a confession. We only have one week to talk about envy. So I crammed too much into the sermon. So I want you to, you have inside your bulletins, you have what we call a sermon map. And if you need a pencil, we'll get it to you. But I promise you, you're going to need to come back to this. Got it? Let's read this together. One, two, three. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imagination has no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Praise God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. See, I want you to notice in your notes, and by the way, if you need a pencil or uh, something to write with, we say here that the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. So if you need one, go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring it to you. Yep, we have one here. Oh, no, we got it. And then we have two here. Yep, great. So listen, let's get through this. We, we're gonna, because we need the help. We need the help. I need the help. You need the help. Let's not forget our big idea. Envy invades our joy. It steals our hope and reveals our idol. Let me tell you what envy has the power to do. Envy has the power to disorientate my thinking. You see that in verse 2 and 3? In verse 2 and 3, it says this. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Why did you nearly lose your foothold? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Okay, so envy has a way of twisting our thinking to thinking that we're worse off than we are and they're better off than they are. But let me just talk a little bit more about envy in comparison to jealousy. You see, jealousy wants to protect what it has. But envy wants to steal what another has. Does this make sense? So let me give you an example. So if I have my wife and someone is pursuing her, then jealousy will stir up inside of me to protect what I have. It's a good thing. That should happen, right? Envy looks at what another person has and becomes bitter and wants to take what they have. So jealousy is like you have a position at work, someone's going for your position at work, and you get angry and uh, you're jealous about the position that you have and you fight against them in that way. Envy is someone else has the job that you want and you want to take them down so that you could have that job. And you get angry at yourself and your boss and even God if you don't get what you want. Envy has a way of corrupting. Now, not all jealousy or all envy is bad. For instance, jealousy is an attribute of God and it's a good thing. God is like, I love you so much when you pursue gods that kill you, gods that destroy you, gods that threaten to take away your joy. God gets jealous. He says, no, 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 no. You're mine. Don't go to them. They're only going to hurt you. Envy can be good. In fact, envy is, there's a good sense of envy where we want what other people have, like, man, that person really knows the word of God. I wish I knew the word of God like that. And so it leads you to go, hey, 
how did you know the word of God like that? And you know, you don't hate that. Or it can go bad like, wow, I wish I preached like that pastor more than that. I wish I had that pastor's influence and audience and all that stuff. So envy has a way of making us hate the people who have what we want. And then if we don't get it, blame all, including God, for not having it. It disorientates my thinking. The psalmist said that his feet almost slipped. In other words, that his faith had almost gone. That he was, and boy, is envy a trick. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you how um, many people have left the faith because of envy. Something as simple as you're clean for four years. Someone else, you clean off of drugs for four years. You use drugs your whole life or for a few years and then you're clean and you're no longer using. But and then someone else comes in and in three months they get back with, and you know, your life is still like pretty messed up and in shambles. And you, you know, your marriage is still, there's no progress in that coming back together. And, and you don't have really good work and, and all that stuff. And then somebody else comes in and in three months, they're reunited with their kids, their marriage is back together. They got this incredible job. And you're like, oh, for God's sake, what are you thinking? I'm over here, I'm praying. I'm like, Why did you give it to them? See, envy has this kind of mentality, kind of mentality like God only has just so much. And if he gave and blessed someone else, that means you missed out on something. God is not like that. He's infinite. But envy has a way of disorientating my thinking. Envy also has a way of blinding my perspective. You see that in verse 12? What? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go, isn't that true? Right? When someone, when someone has what you want, you're like, nothing bad for them. Everything is perfect. What? And it has a way of blinding you to the realities of life. It has a way of making you not be able to see because you're so green with envy. And then, thirdly, envy has the power to make us throw a pity party. Do you see that in verse 13 and 14? Uh, verse 13 says this, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. Can you hear his angst and anger towards God in that? Like, like think about this. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, but you haven't noticed God because the only way you notice is by giving me what I want. Look, I've, I've washed my hands in innocence, but you don't care. It doesn't apply to you. You haven't blessed me because I've done this. All day long I've been afflicted, but you're obviously too busy for me. And every morning brings new punishments. You see how envy makes us throw a pity party, blaming God for not rewarding us for what we have done See, and that's, that's important to know. Because here's the thing. If you and I are serving Jesus so that he can give us what we want, then we're not serving Jesus. We're asking Jesus to serve us. 
In other words, like this. When you and I serve God, we're on it. Let's say, for instance, God puts it on our heart. And you, let's say we grew up in some charismatic kind of place. Hey, if you give, it comes back to you a hundredfold, right? And so you're in this church and you go, well, if that's true, I'm going to be super generous. God, hook a brother up. Papa needs a new pair of shoes. And so you, you, you give your resources, but then you don't have anything to pay your uh, rent with, and you don't have anything to pay your bills with, and the kids need another pair of sneakers, and you're thinking, well, God, weren't you? You see, what you're doing is you're putting God in your debt. God owes you. I remember this story, um, Charles Spurgeon. I, something, many of you have heard it, right? Um, I've told it to you before. There was a man who was in a kingdom and he had grown this massive carrot. He was a farmer. He grew this massive carrot and he like put it on this like uh, uh, horse, not horse, but just like this wagon. And he took the wagon and he went into the king's court and he got there and he went to the king and then finally got to the king and he said, oh king, live forever. This is the most glorious ca carrot I've ever grown. I've never grown as big and as beautiful a carrot as the carrot that I have here. And I could think of no greater service or no greater honor for this carrot than to be enjoyed by you and your court. I give it to you. And the poor, you know, the king could see he was a poor uh, uh, peasant. And he was like deeply moved because that, this was his offering to the king. And he said, uh, this is beautiful. Uh, how many... How many acres of land does your farm have? He goes, I only have one acre. He goes, I'm going to give you 10. I'm going to give you 10. This is beautiful. Thank you. And when someone was in the court and they said, oh my gosh, a little envy started. Why don't I get blessed by the king like this? And if a carrot, if a carrot gets you 10 acres, what does a horse get you? <laughs> so he brought like a Ferrari of horses, right? Like, the, like this super dope, like, Clydesdale and he brings it and he goes to the king and he says oh king live forever this is the greatest horse I have in my stall I've never had anything like him and I can think of no greater honor than for this horse to be ridden by you in your court and the king knowing and interpreting his heart sees him and he just goes he looks at him grabs the horse and says thanks and walks away and the guy's like oh my gosh I just gave away a Ferrari like, this is a really expensive gift. And as he's walking away, the king turns around and he says, you're probably wondering why I gave the peasant 10 acres for a carrot, and I'm not going to give you a thing. Because when the peasant gave me the carrot, he was giving it to me. When you gave me the horse, you were giving it to you. You see? See, envy has a way of stirring you up so that you use God rather than worship God. God, I'll do this. I'll do this so long as you do that. And then when God doesn't do it, we fall into our pity party. And we go, why God, why not me? I've, I've done all this for nothing. Right, because God's not going to play your manipulation game. God is not to be manipulated. He's, be, he's to be adored. He's not to be manipulated. He's to be worshipped. Do you see the difference? Okay. So, let's look at four realities that can keep envy for sabotaging your faith. 
Okay, so we know how dangerous envy can be. We could see how it destroys. Boy, this is true. Now I'm looking at the musicians. Gosh, isn't this true in like the musician world where you guys are like just like, like you see somebody else and, and you go, but like, you know, I can imagine, I don't know, uh, you probably, you guys are way holier than I am, but I can imagine what it's like to be like a professional singer watching American Idol going, I'm better than her. Like, why does she get that? And I'm, you know, and all that stuff. It just, it has a way of corrupting you. Why can't I have a spouse like that? It has a way of corrupting you. Why can't I have kids like that? It has a way of corrupting you. Because why? Because envy invades your joy. It steals your hope. And reveals your idols. We want freedom from this. How can we get freedom from this? Well, the psalm gives us clues. Lots and lots of clues. We couldn't do them all. But let's go with four. Four realities that can keep envy from sabotaging your faith. Here we go. You ready? Yes. The first I want to, and I was, I was so tempted to put this last because it's the best point, but I decided I was going to give it first. First is seek the sanctuary. Seek the sanctuary. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Look at me, look at me. Asaph, Asaph is the guy who's writing this psalm. He's written several psalms in the book of Psalms. Asaph as he's troubled and stirred and dealing with his envy and how it's corrupting his, the way he sees things and sees things, Asaph goes into the sanctuary. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They, they, they don't have a dope band in the sanctuary, right? It's like, if you said it, we believe it. No, that's not happening. That's not happening in the sanctuary. It, in the sanctuary, Asaph walks in and he sees animals being sacrificed blood being spilt the bible in the old well the bible says that um, there is no remission for sins except for the blood like that there's that that the only way you and i could be forgiven and then he walks in i don't know if you've ever seen or even heard like animals being slaughtered it's awful it sounds like children screaming it sounds terrible so Asaph walks into this environment. He's filled with envy. He's struggling with that. God hasn't given him what he wanted. He's wrestling with the fact that he is not as prosperous as those others that he sees. And he goes there and then he sees this, these yelling. And he goes, but these, these animals, they didn't do anything to deserve this. And he recognizes that they're being sacrificed to atone for his sin. Asaph in the sanctuary could see that there was a great thing that was done, a terrible thing that was done, a sacrifice of this innocent thing so that they, so that he who was guilty could have relationship with the one and only Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Asaph had bulls and cows and lambs. 
But you and I have so much more. You see, when you and I walk into the sanctuary, what we do is we don't see a bloodied cow or a sacrificed animal. We see the blood of Christ, one who was innocent for you and I, the guilty. We need to be reminded of this because when we're reminded of this, we're reminded of all that God went through in order to draw us to himself. We're reminded that God stops at nothing. That bulls and cows were just fingers pointing to Jesus of what God himself would come and do for your sake and for mine. He's the one who would give up his life. And our envy says, what? God doesn't care? No, beloved. No, beloved. Our envy says, what? That God doesn't know what you need? No, beloved. Our envy says what? That God doesn't, doesn't, uh, uh, look, is not looking out for you? No, 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 no. Come to the sanctuary. Come to the cross. Come to the one who sacrificed everything so that you and I can have everything. It's found. Then I went to the sanctuary. And I was reminded of two things. Number one, what it took to, what it cost to give me salvation. But also, that the perspective that I have is very temporary, very locked into this world. See, remember what he says? Till I entered your side. Then I understood their final destiny. So maybe someone has hurt you and they're, they're doing great. They took your job and they got promoted after promotion and you're going, that should be my life. Or maybe they took your man. That should be my marriage. Or maybe they took your career. I don't know. Right? Like they, like, and, and you're just looking at them. And you're going, oh, wait. Oh, wait. I'm, I'm, reminded, I'm reminded that, they're going to, that there's going to be two things that happen here. One is they, like me, are going to go to the sanctuary. And they're going to see the blood of Christ spilled for them. And they're going to go, for me, I need your blood. I need your sacrifice. Save me. I'm a sinner in desperate need of grace. Heading to hell. Give me heaven instead by your grace and your grace alone. Either they're going to say that, like you, and be saved. And there will be one innocent who died for them. Or they'll have to pay for it on their own. But either way, it reminds you that whatever they took from you, whatever your heart hates about what they have that you wish you had, it's not the end of the story. All that you see is not all that there is. There's something coming. There's a new heavens. There's a new earth. And it's bigger and more beautiful than you can possibly imagine. You don't have the body you wish you had. I mean, look at all the things that he's envious about. Do you see it? In verses 4 through 11, we'll just do it real fast, real fast. Because I, I know I, I said I was going to be, but, but forgive me. Okay. They got no struggle, right? Look, 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 look. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They free from common human burdens. Uh, verse 6. Uh, uh, they clothe themselves with violence. There, verse 7. Um, uh, uh, their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak ma with malice in verse 8. Their mouths clay, uh, lay claim to heaven. In other words, they're arrogant. You see? Go to the sanctuary. 
Go to the sanctuary and find out what was done so that you could have relationship with God. Asaph had bulls. Asaph had rams. Asaph had the blood of animals. You have the blood of God that was spilled on your behalf. Keep that reality up front. Don't let envy lead you to the pity party, to the blindness. Don't let envy corrupt your soul. Keep the sanctuary up front. This is another reason why we gather together every week. Because we need to be reminded, not of the songs. The songs are lovely, but that's not why we primarily come. We need to be reminded, not because there's a pithy sermon or, 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 or a, a, a saying that that's fine if it actually, you know, is whatever it is. But we come because we need to be reminded that there was one who died on our behalf, who was sacrificed. We need to come to the sanctuary. Let's do these next three quickly. Trust God's plan. So four reality, right, that can keep envy from sabotaging our faith is number one, seek the sanctuary. Be reminded of the sacrifice for you, for you. Take it personal. Secondly, trust God's plan. Verses 18 through 22. Do you see it there? He goes, surely you have placed them on slippery ground. You have cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You see, beloved, we need to trust that God's plan is worth our resting in. Remember what I said just a few minutes ago? That all that you see is not all that there is. Those people that you envy, listen to me. Pray for their souls that God would... By the way, you'll find an incredible healing power. I don't care if it was your sister and she stole your husband. I don't care if it was your son and after you gave him everything. I, I, I don't care. God can restore your soul. You pray for them. And again, like I said, either they will pay for their sins or Jesus will pay for their sins. But their sins will not go unaccounted for. Seek the sanctuary. Trust God's plan. Trust God's hand, man. Verse 23 and 24. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You ever see that movie, right? And it's like this. It's like every Marvel movie. Um, someone's falling off a cliff, right? And they're like, I can't hold on anymore. And then they finally let go and you're like, huh! and then instantly you see somebody's hand grabs them. It goes, I got you. And it's like, you know, it's always this cool move and it's like the music is there and it's like awesome. I got you. And then they pull him back to safety. I want you to see that God's got you. God has got you. Amen. Trust his hand. Trust that he will, that he'll never leave and he'll never forsake like we sung before. We can seek the sanctuary. We can trust God's plan. We can trust God's hand. And then finally in verses 25, 26, and 28. We can make God our goal. Whom have I in heaven but you? And this is worth memorizing. Would you just put like a star in your little thing? Just put verses 25 and 26 as something worth memorizing. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. 
My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Listen to me. The reason that envy is a good tool that God uses, you know what it is? It's an idolatry uh, uh, detector. An idolatry detector. In other words, if there's anything in life that you want more than Jesus, envy will bring it up. Envy will stir it up. And so it allows us to see our idols for what they are. I want health. I want a marriage. I want uh, finances. I want a career. I want, I want, I want. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus, let me tell you the truth about me. It gives us an opportunity to confess to him. And it says, wait, 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 Jesus, let me tell you the truth about me. The truth about me is that I want her more than I want you. Let me tell you the truth about me. I want that career more than I want you. In fact, if you gave me that career, but I didn't have you, I would think that that was heaven. And if you gave me you, but not that career, I would consider that hell. Don't you see? Don't you see? It's, we make God our goal. We reorientate our mind. Why, why, why? Because envy invades our joy, steals our hope, and it reveals our idols.